The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. This big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country. Here he is, America, Verge Bernero. Hello and welcome. This is Verge Bernero. Welcome to the program. Is it too late in 2020 to say Happy New Year? Well, I'm going to. You know, life on the wild side. Happy New Year. Uh, did you make any resolutions this year? I resolve that we're going to have a great show for you today. We will have a special guest in studio. Joining us will be Lieutenant Colonel, retired, I guess, Rocky Ryskowski, a decorated combat veteran from service in the Mideast and Africa and veteran of the Michigan legislature. We actually overlapped a term in the House of Representatives in Michigan. We will talk to Rocky and get his perspective on the Iran situation, the Mideast, and maybe even President Trump, since he is, after all, on the national campaign for Team Trump, in full disclosure. But first, I want to talk a little bit about impeachment. Impeachment uh, is in a holding pattern. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk uh, briefly about the Democratic primary field and a recent poll that was pretty interesting about uh, who would uh, who would be uh, best in the in a matchup, a hypothetical but soon to be uh, matchup with President Trump. Uh, impeachment is in a holding pattern. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, she is really uh, demonstrating some backbone and uh, getting uh, flack from some and praise from others. I'm on the praise side, of course. Uh, I've talked, I've had the pleasure of being in the company of uh, Speaker Pelosi a couple of times, was impressed then uh, and continue to be impressed uh, with her with her leadership um, and her stewardship. Uh, I really supported her uh, when there was the debate about who should become Speaker. I thought uh, we should stick with her and I think she's demonstrated the moxie uh, and the leadership uh, to, to certainly justify that position. Uh, she's been going up against uh, Leader McConnell uh, trying to get some commitment on what the hearing will look like. Now, uh, Kevin, we should talk about that. I mean, for our, for our listeners to understand. Uh, on the one hand, uh, I hear people say, uh, look, let's follow the Clinton precedent and let's, uh, meaning, let's have witnesses. Uh, I guess there were witnesses. Maybe they came in telephonically or they came in by video. Uh, but the uh, this whole notion of is the, you know, what does the impeachment process? And, of course, we've had constitutional scholars on this program to talk about, you know, is it a legal process? Is it a polit political process? The answer is yes, it is It is both. Uh, but uh, so we know that the House had a hell of a time getting any witnesses to come. For example, Bolton said that uh, he would fight the subpoena if subpoenaed in the House. But now Bolton says he would testify and wouldn't fight a subpoena in the Senate. I mean, one question, I'm, I'm a little confused about that myself. Why? Why would he testify in the Senate but not in the House? Um, and then I, you know, where does that testimony belong? Where does the hearing belong? If the indictment, if you will, comes from the House and the, the trial is in the Senate, many trials do include witnesses. And if you think about it from that perspective, if the, if the House is the prosecution, 
uh, then the witnesses would logically come in the Senate. And arguably that has happened in precedent before. Uh, so I think Nancy was holding out, trying to get a commitment that there would be witnesses. Uh, McConnell has said has not said un- unequivocally that there will not be witnesses. He just said he's not going to commit to it at this point. Yeah, I think that at this point, in my opinion at least, uh, they wanted to rush things along in the House, so they did. Skipped over portions of, of what was required to even it out. But 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 wait a minute. Now, when you say they rushed, I mean, they tried to get testimony, but but you say they rushed it. I mean, Bolton, Bolton they, said he would fight. He would fight a subpoena in the House. But now he's saying he will willingly answer the subpoena in the Senate. Why? Why? Why do you think there's that? Does he not like Pelosi, but he likes McConnell or he he likes the treatment he might get in the Senate versus the treatment he might get in the House? I just think the effort wasn't really that huge to try to get those testimonies into the house i mean it would have taken some time to 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 beat those to to, i guess to get the court system to work out and so on uh so now i hear that the house i hear they may actually still introduce uh they might have witnesses more witnesses and maybe add articles of impeachment and I, i i've heard from constitutional scholars that that's that that's legal that they could actually send over more Articles. I think McConnell's just going to throw it out. That's my opinion. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to go much farther past uh, once she sends those articles over. I think the whole issue will be over, so potentially. She so she hasn't sent the articles. And some people think the reason she hasn't sent the articles is because uh, the the charge is, and she hasn't said one way or the other, that she doesn't want Trump to be free and clear when he delivers his State of the Union, uh, that she doesn't want him to be doing a victory a victory dance there as part of the State of the Union, uh, mm. that, that she wants that the argument, I've heard the argument that the Democrats would like the impeachment cloud hanging over the president's head during the State of the Union. Now, I'm going to ask Rocky this later. Uh, do you think that that's, that that's a well, possibility? Well, even you've said that, that Trump will do a victory dance oh, no by, by pardoning everybody that was yes. involved. Yes, I believe he will definitely do a big victory dance. So, as as far as I'm concerned, but do you think that this could have played into the speaker's uh, mindset that she she wanted the cloud of impeachment hanging over his head for the State of the Union? I I never have heard that argument, so I really haven't well, formed well, an opinion. I don't want to be putting that argument forward. That's for Rocky to, to to charge. I certainly don't want to be making that charge. I I, I heard on the some of, some of the talking heads uh, debates. I heard some of the. Uh, I think that comes from Republicans. That that is that that was the argument I heard. But we'll let Rocky weigh in on that. So that if Speaker Pelosi, the idea is that if the Speaker, uh, if the House sends over the articles of impeachment next week, uh, so that's mid January, and the State of the Union is scheduled for what, early February, mm-hmm. that uh, the idea being that uh, they wouldn't be able to clear him. But who knows if it's like you say that the uh, I really don't think it's going to matter for the State of the Union address one way or the other, whether he's still under the cloud or not, because he's not going to address it probably either way other well, than to, to brush it off and say this has no meat to it at all. I mean that's, that's that'll be the end I mean, of it. To I him. think the idea is that if he if it's hanging, he will make little of it if it's hanging over his head. But if he's already been uh, been acquitted by the Senate, what, what's the, the best you could hope for? That the John Bolton that will would, come along and say some things that will put in question everything he said. Is that is that what your hope is? Well, my I mean my hope I you know I I want the truth, and so uh, I think that all these guys should have had to testify. I've heard John Dean, you know, John Dean of the Watergate scandal, who was the president's uh, counsel, 
Uh, Who does have a horse in the hunt? Uh, I mean, he's he's not a but, but fan whatever, of the Republican but, but Party. Whatever. I mean, whatever. All all constitutional scholars. I mean, the fact is, virtually all. The point is, they should be testifying. Right. I mean, Mulvaney, uh, they should answer a subpoena and sure. come and, and testify and just tell the truth. That's all. And and my true view is, look, I, I to me, I have the information I need based on the phone call. I mean, and the evidence that's there, that that you know there was extortion and so on. But but. I think people should testify. I mean, that's how the law works is, look, when Rocky was there, when we were in the legislature, the governor is not infallible. The governor is not above the law. We weren't above the law. As mayor, as mayor of Lansing, I had to go talk to the city council. Sometimes I didn't want to. I had to go explain. I'm accountable to the city council and the citizens. Even a president with all the powers of a commander in chief has to be in our system is accountable. Is accountable. That's something I'm going to ask uh, my friend Rocky about is, you know, where Democrat or Republican and and Rocky's here because I respect him, you know, regardless of party, we're Americans first. You know, we're we're patriots. And I, I hope Rocky believes I believe he is and I hope he believes I am. You know, we love this country. And so, uh, you know, we have to believe the system and, and try to apply it as equally as we can to who's ever there. We have to have, we have to have accountability. And I believe that, uh, you know, again, it's not that Nancy and I are old friends or whatever. And I, I've met her a few times. I've watched her. I believe she's, she's a patriot. Uh, I believe Mike Lee is a patriot. Um, and we don't have time. We're not going to, and we're going to take a break, I guess, before we get on to Rocky. But when we get on with Rocky, with his mic being live, we're going to start with Mike Lee, uh, a Republican senator from Utah, who expressed the sentiment of, uh, I think, most Democrats and a few Republicans about the briefing and about, you know, sort of the imperialness, the imperious nature of the executive that it's become. And uh, I'm not blaming Trump uh, particularly separately. I'm not saying he alone has done this, but the executive has gained so much power, uh, especially in war making, that sometimes they think that, you know, they don't even have to answer to the legend to the Congress. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's a bad thing in democracy. Uh But we're going to take a break uh, on behalf of uh, our lead sponsor, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Is it is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Well, you can count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose him or her. Access and choice. It's health care coverage that works the way you want it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. I remember when my family went on Blue Cross Blue Shield. My dad had been a produce man. And I remember as a young kid going to the doctor and bringing produce. And I just thought that's something you did, is you, you brought produce to your, to your doctor or your dentist. And then when my dad went to work for General Motors and got that Blue Cross card, wow. It was like the power of, of blue. Uh, we saw it in action. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Rocky Riskowski. Is it possible that every person in Michigan, in every zip code, can have access to the most preferred health insurance? Can a company that is always bringing leading-edge ideas also bring the good old-fashioned roll-up-your-sleeves work we need to lift up our communities? Are we able to take 80 years of knowledge and experience and apply it every day to help everyone in Michigan? Count on it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. Today, I will say that we were brought into this briefing today 
to talk to us about that attack on Friday. I ha had hoped and expected to receive more information outlining the legal, factual, and moral justification for the attack. I was left somewhat unsatisfied on that front. Uh, the briefing lasted only 75 minutes, whereupon our briefers left. This, however, is not the biggest problem I have with the briefing, which I would add was probably the worst briefing I've seen, at least on a military issue, in the nine years I've served in the United States Senate. What I found so distressing about that briefing was that one of the messages we received from the briefers was, do not debate, do not discuss the issue of the appropriateness of further military intervention against Iran. And that if you do, you'll be emboldening Iran. The implication being that we would somehow be making America less safe by having a debate or a discussion about the appropriateness of further. So that is Senator Mike Lee of Utah, uh, a patriot, complaining about the briefing that he got from the Trump administration, uh, I guess, about the entire Iran uh, operation, the, the uh, murder of uh, Sol uh, General Salmani. Um, et cetera. And I have a patriot here in the office, in the uh, studio with me, uh, a major in the U.S. Army Reserve. Major? Uh, uh, You're ma demoting uh, me. I'm sorry, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, uh, Rocky has served two tours of duty overseas in, uh, in Operation Enduring Freedom, the Global War on Terror, earning the Bronze Star for meritorious service during combat operations. He's been in Afghanistan. He's been in Africa. He's a business owner now and now on the national uh, campaign team for Donald Trump, for President Trump. Rocky, welcome to the program. Hey, great to see you again, Verge. It's, it's always great to be with you, especially my uh, my political double. But obviously, <laughs> there's a story behind that. I'm not sure when you want to cover that, but uh, Our, maybe we can cover it at the my, end. My, my, my better looking, I'm told, uh, body double from, 20, <laughs> from 2010. From 2010. Well, we were both on the campaign trail in 2010. You were running for Congress. I was running for governor. Uh, imagine the condition of our state and nation had we both won at that time. Well, 50% of it would have been good, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it's great to be on with, with you, you were Virgin. mistaken for me. Yeah, I, was, to... I actually went to a, a, a presentation, and when I walked in, this group of, uh, it was a black female sorority, um, a college sorority that was having a political meeting, and they were having happened to have a meeting next to a groups of citizens that were also having another meeting right next door in the Bloomfield Public Library, Bloomfield Township Public Library. And I walked in, and I'm looking around, and one of the ladies looked back, and she goes, "Folks, folks, Verge is here. Verge is here." <laughs> and I'm like, "Verge, where? where? I'm looking around." <laughs> That's so, hilarious. Uh, well, thank you for standing in when I couldn't make that meeting. But nobody's going to nobody's going to confuse. Yeah, I represented us. you very well. <laughs> I bet. No Nobody's going to confuse us here today. So we're going to hear a little bit more from Mike Lee. Sure. But if you sure. want to comment now, or we're going to hear a little more from Let's him. Let's hear a little bit more, and okay. I'd be more than happy to explain Cause I wanna, cause what, you what were, he's talking you, about. You've been in the theater of war. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, so we want to hear from, from you on this. Military involvement against the government of Iran. Now, I find this insulting and demeaning, not, not personally but to the office that each of the 100 senators in this building happens to hold. I find it insulting and I find it demeaning to the Constitution of the United States to which we've all sworn an oath. It is, after all, the prerogative of the legislative branch to declare war. Article 1, Section 8 makes that very clear. Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 69 made clear that this was a sharp contrast from 
the form of government that we had prior to the revolution, a form of government in which the executive, the king, had the power to take us to war. He did not need the, the parliament to weigh in on it, to support it. That was the parliament's job after the fact, after we had gone into war. So, Rocky, I, I want to, two sure. things. I want to get into this big discussion, which is not a Trump discussion. Okay, first I want to talk about this briefing, but I want to get into the discussion of the use of military force authorizations yep. and this issue he's getting to, this constitutional issue, because I feel that well before Trump, that with Bush, you know, Obama, Clinton, that this war, this issue of the war-making power. The War Powers and, Act of yes, 73. Yes, and you, but, but also going back to the Constitution, the yeah. fact that what Lee's talking about is that we set up, our founding fathers set up a system where the head guy couldn't just wave a wand like the king could and say we're going to wear that Congress, that the legislative folks Correct. Were, were going to be involved in that. So you especially, having been both a legislator and a combat veteran, you know, I want to get your perspective as a patriot and as American on that issue separate. Like I say, if you can separate from Trump. Absolutely. Have we gone too far afield? Should we potentially should we make sure that Congress uh, I heard uh, this morning, I heard both Democrat and Republican legislators on the radio from you know different parties, but essentially agreeing uh, even on different stations, essentially agreeing <laughs> that, you know, we, we that this has gone too far, that, that even though that that's a very tough vote for a legislator to make. No legislator really wants to make, looks forward to making that yes on that authorization of force or yes, go to war. But that, that, that really is the system that was set up that maybe we've gotten too far away from. But let's start with, look, here's a guy who's incensed. Does he have any right to be incensed? I know you weren't there in the briefing. Why? No, is but Mike I know Lee, exactly what he's talking why about. Why is right? he so upset and does he have a right to it? Well, uh, let, me, let me first start off with saying that I think Mike Lee is absolutely incorrect here. I think he's off his rocker on this one, and I'll explain okay. in a moment. But when you really look at the Constitution, right now, this president in Iraq and Iran in that region has three ways that they can go to war. Number one is the Constitution, which was the original founding father's path for a president to go to war. And that was Article Two, which allowed the president the executive power to wage war and Congress to do the check and approve the waging of the war. That was first, the it, Constitution. It allows Congress to approve it. Approve it, absolutely. Because they would have to fund it. Absolutely. And, and maybe approve it through what? Authorization? Authorization of a okay. war. That's correct. The president comes to Congress and basically states why there needs to be a war or conflict with another country or with another group. So even that is not unilateral. Correct. Okay. So but that's, that's Article, Article 2. As far as Article 2, Mike Lee is absolutely correct. But since Article 2, we've had interpretations and we've had congressional act that has actually, and it's Congress's fault, it's the Senate and the House that have actually allowed their powers to be given to the executive. Let me explain why. In 1973, the War Powers Act, which allowed Nixon, uh, which basically uh, checked Nixon's powers, and the War Powers Act allowed the president to determine when the executive uh, had to act as far as in the safety and security of the United States. And then after they acted, they would come back for an authorization. So hold on, let me stop you just for a minute. Yeah. So, so you're saying that in the in 73, thereabouts, the Congress, uh, in essence, abdicated or ceded. Partially. Partially, partially ceded, uh, ceded some of their authority to the president. Correct. Because probably because the, the, that was during the Vietnam era, and they did not really want to be on the hook uh, I'm surmising politically, they, they did not want to have to be making the decisions. They were ceding that so that for good or bad, the president would be held accountable for what happened. Correct. But at the same time, 
uh, they wanted the authority to come have the president come back and brief them so that they could authorize any type of war act. Okay. So yeah, they did cede a lot of a lot of their powers. In the second, the the actually the third issue in this conflict, which happened under Bush, uh, forty three, and then under under uh, President Obama, was the Iraqi War Powers Act or the Iraqi Acts, where the United States was allowed to sign a Rules of Engagement, a SOFA, which is, stands for uh, an SOFAA, which stands for Status of Forces Agreement with Iraq, and also something. That's referred to in the news media as the the AUMF. AUMF. Thank you. The the use of authorization of of the use of military force, and that specifically allowed this president to use military force when he believed that soldiers or or our interests were required protection, required a, a retaliation. And then if we declared a actual war, the president would have to come back and brief Congress. So other presidents have used that. Absolutely. And by the way, by the way, I have not heard uh, during this whole Iranian uh, uh, flare-up, I really haven't heard many or any uh, legislators, federal legislators, uh, Democrat or Republican, saying, you know, this is way outside the. I mean, maybe I'm not saying one or two didn't, and I didn't hear it, but I, I haven't heard much saying he's wildly out of his uh, constitutional he's authority. Not. Blah blah blah. And I think that's because of what Rocky, what you've laid out. Exactly. Now that that now we can talk about whether or not Soleimani, you know, whether it was wise, you know, I think we all book. agree. I think we all agree he deserved it. But the, the whether it was wise, blah blah blah. That's a separate question of did Trump have the power to do this? And I have not heard really much argument that he didn't have the power. Now, yeah. what Mike Lee is debating, and we're going to let him finish, sure. if I can. This is you've, you've outlined the three sure. reasons why. So let's let Mike Lee finish why he's so upset. He's saying he was not properly briefed, because even in your one, two, three of the seating of yeah. authority, you're saying the president does have the obligation to report back, Correct. et cetera. And Mike Lee is complaining about that report. This Hamilton explained Federalist 69 is exactly the reason why this power was put in Article 1, Section 8, in the branch of government most accountable to the people at the most regular intervals. When we send our brave soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines into harm's way, we owe the American people the decent courtesy to follow the Constitution. So, to follow the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, so, Rocky, he's saying when we send our, our best, our young men and women, and put them in harm's way, the Congress of the United States, you know, they're elected to, they're a co-equal branch of government, and they need a proper briefing. So he and a couple others, Rand Paul and, you know, some of the Democrats, are saying we don't see, I think if, you, if we went further into it, the complaint I've heard is that they're not, they don't believe that they've heard adequate justification According sure, to these, sure. that that Salmani, that it was eminent, that there was an eminent threat, and they're they're not saying, and again, they're they're saying they should have been briefed, that they should have been briefed, maybe even ahead of time, that and they and with what they with what the scant <laughs> the scant the scant info they've yeah. gotten so far, they're not convinced of the urgency, and I and I do want to put something to you. Uh, about this, that when, because I know you're... You, yeah, let me address you, that. I know you believe that so many did have it coming and that yeah. it was wise, and I agree with you that he had it coming, but my question, when you say that it was wise on President Trump to do this now, and it was urgent, I assume you're going to say it was urgent to do it now, and I can't wait to give for you to give me the evidence that, that Mike Lee did not get in the committee to convince <laughs> me and my listeners that it was urgent, because what I'm going to throw back at you uh, is that, look, your president, our president, President Trump, was ready to invite the Taliban to to uh, Camp David 
to negotiate to Washington. And they, these are a bunch of killers. And so if, if he was willing to bury the hatchet with the Taliban, how is it that it was urgent to murder Salmani now? I think you're mixing the two here. I am mixing them. Uh, big time. And, and I think that that's a little bit irresponsible from the perspective of the Taliban was a leader of Afghanistan, uh, was the political party leader in leadership of Afghanistan before we overthrew them because they sided strictly with al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. They hid and allowed for Osama bin Laden to hide in Tora Bora, if you remember. I mean, the but the Taliban, action. they also, they were responsible for a lot of American deaths, were they not? After the and, fact. And local After deaths. the fact, not at the beginning. Not to mention citizens. Not, not at the beginning. No, they were not responsible at the beginning. They were responsible for housing al-Qaeda's leader, Osama bin Laden, in Tora Bora. And, and giving him refuge. And that's that's it. When we went to war and we overthrew them as a political government and we sided with the Northern Alliance or the generals of the Northern Alliance, um, and, and it's very well highlighted in a book called 12 Strong, which later became a movie. If you see that or, or read the book, you'll see that we sided with multiple generals that were part of the old system, the old, uh, how shall I say, elder system of Afghanistan that that took on Taliban. And at that point, because Taliban sided with al-Qaeda, gave them refuge, that's when they became our enemy. That's the, so we totally were, we're different We were listening issue. to Rocky Raskowski, who is head of Veterans for Trump uh, in Michigan. One of, or, yeah, in, in the nationally, one of the Veterans for Trump uh, co-chairs nationally for the campaign. So I want to have you yeah. go on and tell us why you feel that the Salmani, uh, wiping out Salmani was the right thing to do. Well, I don't have all the specific uh, data and furthermore, if it's classified, it's classified. It's something that we don't discuss. But that's the key here: that Congress received an unclassified briefing. Number one, should they have been notified before the attack? If they would have been notified before the attack, quite frankly, CNN would have broadcasted internationally, and Soleimani would have changed his stripes or changed his direction. Number two, we don't give up the data or the information or the technical. Uh, how shall I say, the tactical and strategic methods that we gain for intelligence. If we do, if we do, that's why we have the Gang of Eight briefings. And the Gang of Eight, if it, last time I checked the Constitution, there was nothing about the Gang of Eight in okay, there. But Rocky, the Gang of Eight received the more technical uh, descriptions and the more technical, uh, how shall I say, briefings of some of the information. Okay, but with all due respect, Colonel, this is after the fact. They, they, they were in a bunker. I heard Mike Lee, Senator yeah. Lee, say they were in a secure... They were, they were in a skiff, yeah. which is a secure, contained so, facility. So this is the point at which our congressional leaders should be getting the, the straight skinny. I mean, they should be getting, right? The, no, the no, real... no, 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 no. A skiff states that they get specific information that's confidential, maybe secured, but that doesn't mean that they get all the classified information. Let me tell you that most people that get a run for Congress couldn't pass a security clearance. There are some people that worked yeah, in the Obama you. as well as the Trump administration that couldn't pass a security clearance. Well, we, they don't right. get security right. and they don't get classified information. They don't get top well, secret Well, we won't get into the security clearance and the, the abuses <laughs> in the Trump administration. We won't get into all Or the that. Obama or the Clinton um, administration. Or so, any, any. And, and since we're not going to be able to talk about the specifics probably of Soleimani, uh, because like you say, it's classified and even Senator Lee couldn't get it, I do want to talk to you, since I have the opportunity to talk to a veteran uh, who was there, and also a political leader. Um, I want to talk to you about Iran, uh, and, and I want to move this discussion from my Facebook uh, to here. 
and then I'll put it back on sure. Facebook maybe, uh, about Iran. Because on Facebook there was a lively, uh, very lively discussion the night the missiles flew yeah. uh, on my Facebook. And uh, I, of course, was weighing in as I was you know, watching with concern, I think like all Americans, uh, when we hear that our uh, military uh, U.S. troops are potentially under attack, uh, I was glued to, to the TV and, and of course, uh, praying. And, again, there was this debate going on, and we had family members of loved ones, of uh, troops uh, weighing in, saying, my God, you know, my, my son is there. Uh, it's all there on Facebook. And um, uh, somebody said, uh, a little later, somebody said, um, well, you know, the Iranians, they've been making trouble for 40 years, you know, these, these lousy bastards. And I said, um, I think you go back to 53, I think the United States was involved, kind of heavy-handed with the CIA. There was a guy named Mossadegh. He was democratically elected. We helped remove him and bring in the Shah of Iran. And that really, you got you to gotta know some history. And I know you uh, are somewhat of a student of history. If you're going to be uh, rise to the level you have in the military, uh, you learn also about, I mean, military history is absolutely crucial. you got to know what's going on in these places. So there has been trouble for a long time, and the United States uh, was part of the trouble. Uh, we, they had a democratically, these Iranian, are, uh, there are a lot of good people there. There's a lot of smart people there, hardworking people. A lot people, of great people there. And a lot of them that are inclined to love this country. Very the much reason, so. Rocky, the reason, and, and we try to be intellectually honest here on this program, the reason why, I've heard some people, even there was that one senator, or Congressman Collins or whatever, who said, oh, you know, why do the Democrats love terrorists? Look, I have no love for. Yeah, I'm surprised the DNC's flags aren't at half staff right now. <laughs> I have no love for so many at all. The issue is keeping our troops safe and, and building peace and, and ultimately peace and prosperity in the region. And we've been in that region for a long time. And we don't have democracy in that region. You know, we so again, we took out our first act was to actually I, I disagree with you, by the way, in Iraq. We brought democracy, not not a yes. Republican. When we I say tried. Republican, not a small R Republican democracy, but we brought democracy. And that's why we went from a majority uh, Sunni controlled government over a majority Shia to a majority Shia government controlling Sunni and Kurd. And, and I hear you. And I heard General Eason talking yeah. about this recently. It's true. Uh, and he said that it's the jury still out on whether, of course, we're going to be successful. We hope yeah. like, that it will. But he brought out the fact that, you know, if you look at India, it took the British. And this is what I wanted to talk about, empire. It took the British over 100 years, 150 years to instill democracy in India. Now, it was a phenomenal thing that they did. I mean, there were also a lot of <laughs> there were problems. But... They, it took 150, 200 years to bring democracy to India. I'm not sure if the, if, if the British can truly be credited with bringing democracy, if you remember. Well, because this is part of the Indian-Pakistani issue. If you remember what broke apart India, the Hindustan region, into India and Pakistan in the 50s, same thing happened here yes. with Iran, Which points Persia, out and Iraq. It, it, they became countries again in 50s. So we agree on the difficulty yeah. of instilling democratic values in any area but we're not where trying they to do been. that. So, so then that leads By to— By the way, Verge, we do that economically. We don't try to do that. Part of our— So what are we trying to do? Part That's of what our, I'm getting at. What part are of our we? military force, and, and one of them that doesn't require weapons or, or soldiers— or taking over imperialism, what a lot of people are talking about imperialism. We're not an imperialistic nation. We are a nation that tries to ex expand democracy and capitalism so. through our economic power, through 
the economy. And, and quite frankly, when you look at capitalism, that's the best way. Capitalism and freedom and liberty well, is the best way we spread our, for another our, our show. Wealth. In another show, we'll talk about how that hasn't worked <laughs> sure. in places like China, which your president talks about a lot. Oh, okay? it's, it's slowly so we, happening. We, we traded with them. We gave them, we, you know, under Bush and Clinton, we let them into the WTO, World Trade Organization. And they are not democratizing, Rocky. They are not. Their society, they're putting up cameras. They're putting people in prison and re-education camp. So I, I what Listen, you said. Listen, I agree. I'm not said, a big okay, fan Yeah, of China, I mean, we're going to agree on a lot. But I, slowly. Look what you said about, about capitalism. I'm all for that. That's wonderful. Let's teach people. Let's give people opportunity. But as your president has said, Our we, president. Need, we, we, we need a level playing field. We need a level playing field. And China, not only has China taken advantages of us economically, for their folks at home, they have not democratized. And that's and so, why so I applaud, I feel, even though it hurt me personally in my business, I applaud the president for finally taking and finally having a backbone, taking on China with tariffs and doing something yeah. that I, I wasn't a big fan of. But I support the president because it's working. We're starting to break China. Well, I certainly support standing up to them and not letting them play by two sets of rules. And I only wish that we could put back the hands of time because I believe you and I, had we been there helping to negotiate and deciding whether China would be allowed into the WTO, that's the, that's the point at which we should have been saying, you'll have to have a free media, you'll have to democratize this, you'll have to democratize that. Because what you're saying, the, the problem is that while what you said sounded beautiful, spreading capitalism and democracy, yeah. no, I really believe it sounded yeah. beautiful. The problem is that too many folks in the Chamber of Commerce at the national level they were willing to compromise just to get to the China market. Let us have access to the China market. And they weren't concerned about the Democratic. You know, uh, Tillman, Rex Till, Tillman, is it Tillman? Tillerson. 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 Rex Tillerson, one of the most powerful men in the world, he didn't care. He's, he's, uh, he doesn't care when he goes into these countries if it's an autocrat, if it's a monarch, if it's somebody with monarchical powers. He wants to drill baby drill and see his profits go up for ExxonMobil. And too many of our American corporations are willing to compromise completely on the democracy part of it, therefore the capitalist part of it, but they're certainly not willing to, to fight for the democracy part of it. And that's where you come in, you boots on the ground. I pointed to you as a troop now. And that's what I think is unfair when we well, put it's, our guys it's a in fine line. Way. You bring up some very valid points because it's a fine line between um, having economic freedom and true liberty and true freedom. And uh, you look at even Europe where there's socialism in their governments, but yet they have economic freedom. You look at Canada, for example, where Canada is, is moving more towards socialism as a people, but yet their economy they want to move their economy more towards the U.S. model. So you, you bring up some very valid points. And, of course, you and I come from a different perspective because both of us come from immigrant parents where, where we were taught an incredible love for the freedoms of this country, an incredible Amen. love for the capitalism of this country. And both of us were raised that way. So I, I think there's more that brings us together, hopefully, as Republicans and Democrats. And one of the things that I would just say is that it'd be really nice if I could stop listening to politicians say, oh, it's nation above par party or politics, and actually live by those words. And I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a big Trump supporter, because here's a guy that put everything on the line, stepped away from his business, you could say, and quite frankly, actually has done what he said he was going to do. 
Well, Democrats he's would changed, argue Dem- he's, he's rattled the cage. Democrats and many people would argue as to how much he stepped away from his business. Yeah, In they're fact, wrong. That's one of the big arguments they're is wrong. that we think we think that he should have divested himself uh, and put it in a blind trust and so on instead of having his kids who work with him run the business. But you've made the turn to. Uh, Trump and the election. Yeah. I and mean, talking very politically now. So let's ask. I do have some questions to ask you about that, Rocky. Uh, so w- who do you believe? Uh, not, not I'm not asking. I, I guess I'll ask you two questions. Who does Trump want to face and who do you believe he will face as, as a Democratic opponent? Who when, do you think? When looking, who, when looking at all the candidates that are left from Yang all the way up to Biden, from Buttigieg to Warren, from Sanders all the way to, to Tom Steyer and Bloomberg. I think uh, all of them are fair game. He said that publicly, and I, I think he's quite right. I think he will be more than happy to take on any of these characters because these characters, to win the primary, they are moving so far left. AOC and Omar have changed your party. Well, I don't see them moving left. I don't know what you're oh, talking I, about. I, I see. You I don't see, see them moving left. I see some, socialized medicine. Look, socialized. Some, some, well, well, that's always been an issue in the Democratic Party. That we're not afraid of the, the, the socialized medicine. We're not afraid of it. It's you're not issue. afraid of it's socialized medicine. No, no, it's an issue to be debated. It's interesting the why Canadians. Health care is to be debated. It's not perfect, Rocky. We've got people struggling out there. Even people with insurance. There are people. Oh, I, I the agree. They're struggling. Are going up, and so having the debate. About but it. to and, and universalize party, it. We're a big tent party. So having the debate within our party, we're not afraid of that. We're not. We welcome AOC. She's at one one side of the party. And we've got Biden. We've got we've got uh, Klobuchar. Uh, I mean, so, yes, it's a big here's, tent party. Here's the difference between when Democrats say they're a big tent party. They're a big tent party trying to get votes. But once you get into that party, you're locked in like in a little tiny prison cell. While the Republican. Let I've me tell you why. Because, party. because, yeah, you, you know, can be people, welcome. Some Absolutely. people call me a moderate. Some people call me progressive. Some people think I'm too close to business. Let me Other share this. Think, when a Republican goes to Washington and leadership tells them what to do, they basically uh, tell the leadership what they think. When a Democrat goes to Congress and leadership tells them how to vote, look at Slotkin, look at in Michigan. You know, see, we have see, in these 31 seats that took over Republican seats. These people walk lock and step well, with see, how Pelosi look, tells so, them. So, Otherwise, they're so cut I off. I don't want to argue about this because we feel the, the exact opposite. So, I mean, they're, both parties. Well, that's the truth. Both parties say, you're not no, willing we, to, we, no, to we see believe, the truth. I, I believe the exact opposite. No, I believe the exact I think the truth is we are a big party and we have voices. We have divergent voices. And I've had people say, well, AOC, do you believe that? About yeah, I, I agree with AOC on a lot of things. I don't agree on everything. She's welcome into the party. Okay, she's part of. The, she's one of our voices. She's not calling the shots. You know, Pelosi. You know, arguably is more moderate, obviously, than AOC. So that's how it is. We believe, but I'm not going to get into it because I'm not here to disparage, just disparage you and/or the party. But we believe that Republicans are better at walking and, lie, and goose stepping. We believe oh, that you, we believe that you tend to be more authoritarian and we follow are so free spirited. So, so let's it's just agree to disagree. Let's agree to disagree on that. And I want to ask you again. I Look at get, Mike Lee. He's free spirited. I want to get back to my question yeah. of. Okay, so you're not going to tell me who would you who do you think would be the best, easiest candidate? I, I really I so well I the easiest you, I want to ask listen, you who do you me, think it will let be? Let me address let me address this that uh, in Michigan for example, we have the March 10th presidential primary in Iowa it's coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks and then New Hampshire and I'm highly recommending to people to go out and vote for Bernie Sanders. Let the Democrats have exactly what they want. So if you they think want to go Bernie, to the far left? so that tells me that Rocky Raskowski believes that Bernie would be the easiest to beat. I think Trump. all of them, I think all of them would bring a level of ease and difficulty uh, for the president. But at the same time, I think Bernie would be the best one 
for us to have a true discussion between left and right. So I take it, given all the effort. That's that, why that, I, I, okay. that's why I say Bernie, right. because he gives the best contrast like- between a true a true uh, activist for the people, just like Trump is a populist. But on the left. Yeah, and Trump is a populist on the right. And you have okay, a so, true populist on both so sides. Can I, can I enter? Yeah, in, sure. Yeah. Bloomberg has $53 billion. Yes. Trump has $3 billion. Yeah. So if you talk about courage to walk away from a business, let's talk about Michael Bloomberg. Sure. And who can speak well, he'd probably, his language? He probably really put his in a blind trust. Unlike Trump, he wouldn't be running his business. <laughs> well, he's still running it. Who can speak Trump's language better Bloomberg. Who could take him yeah. to school? Yeah, well, on business I, I think, matters. I, I'm right. not sure well, he could take him to school. But that's why people love Trump. Uh, I'm not. I'm there not are sure. a lot of people that are experiencing Trump fatigue. Yeah. On the Republican side, as much as on the Democratic side, we're I, getting I tired. That. So would Bloomberg be that candidate, Rocky, who could be would. that? Who who could attract? Would that scare? Would that scare you all, the Trump and the team Trump, to think that Bloomberg? Uh, now he's got some liberal bona fides. Bloomberg and some know, strong conservative he's, he's stood up, he, right? But he stood up against. I mean, he stood against the NRA mm-hmm. for for gun control. Uh, stood with mayors around the country. He started, I think, mayors against uh, guns, uh, mayors for responsible guns. Yeah, he wants to take all uh, guns. So yeah. uh, he's uh, he's good at, with the LGBTQ community. Uh, he's uh, he's certainly a leader on the environment, uh, and he's put his money where his mouth is. He's and and anti. Let's not forget, he's anti. Anything above sixteen ounces um, of Coke or he's, Pepsi. He's against the big Slurpee. <laughs> yeah, the big Slurpee. Uh, and 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 that's a and, killer. And that's a killer. He's got and he's got. Look, let's not discount. He's got real management experience. We talk about you know business. Sure. Here's a guy that's run a, a city and run it well for twelve years. Uh, well, that's kind well, of. I, would, I wouldn't say run it well. Um, well, and, not th- for 12 and that's years. like running a. That's like th- that New York economy, that GDP, and all that, and population. That's bigger than a lot of countries. I mean, yeah, he, true. So in but, essence, and and now I would say he's run it well. I would say you know having been to New York. So Rudy Giuliani's a, a a genius too. Then yeah, Rudy well, was the one that basically put New York well, on a path. That's well, why I say it's a little questionable. Well, thank it's you. Not, it's not thank questionable. You. He's a technocrat hey, in the best sense of the word. He's he has run it, and and his Bloomberg philanthropies. He he sponsors programs, and full disclosure. Uh, sponsored one in uh, Lansing, helped us create our uh, financial empowerment center, uh, gave us over a million dollars. So he believes in giving people a hand up uh, and and puts his money where his mouth is. Yeah, but let me ask you this question. Have you guys seen his commercials? They are boring, boring, He's a terrible debater. And and not only is he boring, but his commercials, for that much billions of dollars, you would think that he would brand himself as a man of the people and grab the hearts and minds through the emotion. The problem you have for him to be a man of the people as such, I mean... As a billionaire running a multi, uh, look at Tom know, Steyer. He's trying to company. do it. I know trying is right. Um, <laughs> look, I, I I'm biased because I love Bloomberg. Okay, and it's not just because you love million, Bernie. The, it's not. Just, I love Bernie, but but Bloomberg as a mayor, you got to understand. Uh, as a fellow mayor, yeah. I mean, I was mayor for 12 years. He was mayor for 12 years. I I sat in panels with him. I mean, Bloomberg, his intelligence. You know, and and again, oh, he's, he's a smart guy, and, and, and he's done it. I mean, other people have talked about it. When you've run the city of New York and run it well, <laughs> you know that's no easy job. Even running Lansing is not an easy job. But yeah. running New York and then taking his money—he could be on a beach somewhere. 
You know, the guy is still in the game. I respect him. I admire him. Yeah, and that's, I've taken that's on another liberals. Point. I've taken on liberals for years on my Facebook where they've said, oh, you're the Bloomberg, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, Bloomberg is given millions and millions to help cities, to help communities. You know, he's out there fighting climate change, you know, taking it on in a big way. This is going to affect New York and Washington that are right there on the water. I mean, he is taking on these issues. I have to give credit to that. Now, so it's Kenny, no longer global warming. I'm not endorsing change, him so. for president yet. Uh, I haven't made no endorsement. But, you know, I mean, I do love the guy and I uh-huh. admire him for the work that he's done. I think but that the he fact does that more he would attract some moderates and, some in, and people who don't know which direction they want to go sure. yet. He's Which is man. very few, by the way. Very few. He's but a, I'm not sure. It, but, it only takes but, a few. Yeah. But I'm not sure the Bernie bros can be convinced. I'm Bernie not bros. sure. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the, the amount of vote in the, in the Democratic primary that is for Bernie and for Warren. If you put them together as the most it's a progressive, majority. if that and that's they're the most progressive uh, viable candidates. So I mean, Yang is also making some great points, but they're the most progressive viable candidates. And if you put that vote together, the Bernie people and the Warren people, I'm just not sure that they could ever be convinced. I just well, don't, here's, don't, here's don't have an to be convinced that it's an anything but Trump vote this uh, this time around. You don't have to worry about the base Democrat. You don't. They're all in complete agreement to hate this man. So whoever the ends up base, being the hardcore base, but but you even at, the even you look the Bernie at the hard Sanders, uh, they're the ones that hate him the most. Yeah, which, but let me let me take so one anybody step back. but Trump. Let me take one step back and talk about the changing of the political parties because you've got more billionaires supporting Democrats now. This yeah, way around. There's a few billionaires and socialists. Well, all the Democrats supporting. combined raised more money, and they did it through individual contributions. They've got way more individual well, because of, than Trump because of the way you guys uh, what do you basically mean? raised. That's how money. we are. We're a small, yeah. big tent. We, we believe uh, yeah. in the little guy. We don't just go with Citizens United. Be, yeah, but no, no, no. It's not Citizens United. If you look all at corporate individual dollars. corporation or individual dollars, not corporate dollars, but individual dollars, we have outpaced the Democrats by far. When you look at where it's been given, it's been given to the RNC, the DNC. Okay, well, it's not been but spread the out to the candidates, giving, giving to like the what, candidates. You, what the Democrats are doing, and then taking uh, well, money that, that you're, you're, no, you're, because you attack the way that parties raise money, but yet individual spending and individual contributions, Republicans have outpaced Democrats by far, uh, I'll by dig huge into numbers. It. I'll dig into it. But you yes, will. I'm concerned about corporate money all the way around. But, but here's, here's the interesting thing. The, the fact that the Democratic Party has lost the populist vote. Donald Trump, there's a reason why Donald Trump won Michigan. Well, we haven't won, lost it. I mean, I won, was, obviously, he we're won Michigan in, in, in 2016, Wisconsin, Ohio, yes. Pennsylvania. And, and the, Rust, the Rust Belt. It by a hair. But let me tell you why. And he's going to win well, by I bigger think I numbers. Know why. Well, besides Hillary Clinton. It is because there is an undercurrent. There is a populist undercurrent, which I completely agree with, that Washington has lost touch, that you could buy a lobbyist and the lobbyist could lobby Washington or a foreign government could yeah. come in and yes, buy a lobbyist yeah. and change wanted Washington. To, so they were willing to pull the plug on the grenade and just blow the place up. But the reality is... No, not that, blow but, the place but, up, just but, change it. Uh, Bloomberg right. still fits that bill, by the way. I'm but, not sure but if he let's, does. But let's keep in mind that there was a big undervote uh, if, you, if we'd have had the Obama turnout, and so there was a big undervote. It wasn't that people surged for the Republican message, surged for the Trump message. It was the underwhelming support by Democrats. And that's why— And again, that's in 2018, why, Kevin, in you had an thing, undercurrent. Uh, of, about, about let's just not worry about the Bernies and yeah, the and The, the emails supporters. didn't help. You're uh, right. The, the reason that we are concerned about—look, uh, we're a big tent party, and we have to make sure that all voices are heard and represented. But by the way, so we may have to have you back, Rocky. 
You're a big tent with one door. <laughs> one of the one of the things I wanted to ask and you, no I know we, we went into politics, but I forgot. I wanted to ask yeah. you, and Kevin reminded me with the issue of the uniting, the, the issue of uniting. I wanted to just get, if I can just get back to one more, put your uh, soldier hat back on. Sure. Um, the concern that I have, as I said, it's not that we love uh, so many. The guy deserved what he got. The issue is giving him what he got. Uh, didn't we, a lot of experts, Democrat, Republican, Independent, a lot of people that study the region, and you were there for a time, a lot of people that study it say that what we've succeeded in doing by killing this guy and making him a martyr, they now refer to him as martyr, so many, that we, in essence, united the, the Iranians. Iranians, even the ones that love no. us or so on, that we, in essence, by, no. by making him a martyr, that we've actually hurt our own cause. No, so I, I wanted to give you a chance to answer yeah, I, that. And I appreciate that because whoever's saying that is an uneducated analyst. It's a talking head that's just looking for political points. Because quite frankly, the Army War College did a, basically at Carlisle, uh, the Army War College did a study on this. And they said the more that terrorism is unchecked or the more that national sponsored attacks against the United States, specifically, they highlighted Iran. The more that it goes unchecked, the more we get it. The more we put it in check, like what Trump just did, the less activity we see. So and I, I take I it truly that you believe... and I want to. Okay, and I hope they're right. I hope they're right. Oh Look, yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a patriot. Absolutely. I want the. I want By the, the way, there was no no uniting of Iran. Soleimani was also in charge of putting down the Iranian rebels and revolution. Again, well, with, the, with the students, he had his enemies. as well as just recently, and there are hundred million people in Iran. And two million control the other ninety-eight million. So, are you at? Are, are you uh, con- content? Are you? Are you uh, relatively complacent at this point? About I don't want to say complacent, but do you now believe that uh, the Iranian response? Uh, I would say they're somewhat tepid. Do you believe that that is is evidence that uh, that the president that the president you know has them sufficiently cowed? Uh, that his approach, do you believe it's evidence that, it, that it's working? Uh, or do, do, should, do we really need to be on guard still for, for Absolutely treacherous we need attacks Absolutely we need to be on guard. There I mean, was, no, there was well. no Iranian all as well because we have the ability as an international super, as a national superpower, world superpower, to basically pull, put down any type of attack that Iran has. Let me tell you, they, this was you not a tepid attack. don't think they're done then? I mean, are they done with I don't this? think they're done because it's not in... This in in the Khomeini's and and this regime's nature, it's not in their nature to be done. And by the way, remember they've got Russia funding them, if not the 150 billion dollars that we gave them in cash. I, I I still look at them as an international state sponsor of terrorism, and they need to be checked. And I'm I'm ecstatic that the president pulled us out of the JCPOA, which was commonly referred to as the Iran nuclear deal, mm-hmm. because I believe, and the evidence was well, very he, factual, that, we're, that we're, they were not following We're down it. to very little time, yeah. and so if you would, I would love to have you back to talk about sure. that. The president led his news I'd conference. I'd love to uh, bring more education to your, we, to we, your listening we, audience. We, we, I, I, we also like to get some Trump folks in once sure. in a while we'll get you in. when they come through town Absolutely. or whatever, because I think that that uh, Verge at least holds feet to the fire. He's, he can be kind and yet firm, which is something I think people want to hear yeah, these I, days. I've learned that about Verge. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky, it's great to see you again. Rocky Raskowski, uh, retired lieutenant colonel and uh, part of the national uh, Trump team, uh, leading, uh, helping to lead veterans for Trump. 
Um, I wish you almost every success in your endeavors, Rocky. Uh, but we'll have you back uh, if you're willing. It's great to see you. Good to see you in, in health. And I'm w- wishing you, as I say, success in 2020 up to a point. That's I and I accept it. And and we're we're here to work for everyone. The president's here to work for everyone. And I encourage people to check out more and learn more about the issues coming. Are you up going down to Toledo today? No, not today. Okay. Thank you Not so today. much for taking time to join us, Rocky. It's great to see you, and great to see you in good health. God bless you guys. Uh, Thank God you. bless you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about some things that are kind of cool, the kind of cool section. So stay tuned. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Wait, but your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Well, I gotta run. Yeah, no, that's good. God bless you guys. Thank you. You're up. And we are back on the Verge Bernero show. Uh, Rocky, take care. Um, uh, we're talking about what's kind of cool, Kev. And, um, you know, we've watched over the holidays, um, I think, with, with horror and concern for our fellow man and women in uh, Down Under. Uh, in Aussie and Australia, the wildfires that are out Unreal. of control. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, uh, unbelievable, uh, tragic, uh, so much devastation. And of course, um, you know, we pray for them and uh, we, we uh, hope for the best. I know that there are various uh, relief efforts underway uh, in this country, uh, which I encourage folks to get involved in uh, through the Red Cross uh, or your other favorite global uh, charity so that uh, we can help our brothers and sisters in Australia. Um, And of course, out of uh, most every tragic uh, situation like that comes um, stories of heroism and and kindness. And that's what Kinda Cool is about. Uh, Firefighters battling out of control wildfires uh, where uh, have claimed the lives of, those fires have claimed the lives of over 20, at least 25 people, hundreds of thousands of animals, mm. uh, and scorched millions of acres across Australia. Um, they're getting well-needed enforcements, reinforcements now from the United States, including a team of veteran fire crews from California. God bless them for going down there. I mean, we've had our, yeah, they, they've, they've battled it in California. Right. I mean, they, they're probably battle-weary from that. I'll never understand the concept of running towards a fire. You know, it's, that's just a phenomenal thing that those guys have these, in that courage. I mean, these are our, our uh, heroes, no yeah. question about it. And, you know, when I was mayor of Lansing, uh, I never forgot that. Uh, our uh, The men and women uh, of our police and fire department, our first responders, uh, and our 
uh, we should all be cognizant of that. And, uh, of course, it always was, even while I had to look at the budget and I had to sometimes sit across from there uh, uh, when it came time to union uh, organic, uh, contract, working on the contract issues and so on. Uh, you never forget. I, I, I appreciated them day in and day out uh, for the job they did putting their life on the line, as you say, running toward danger. Um, and as the extreme fire danger continues across Australia, the Department of the Interior will continue to do all that we can to support requests for assistance, uh, said the uh, Craig Leff, the director of the Department of Interior's Office of Wildfire. Uh, so they're fighting it. Um, one great story that came out was despite being directly in the path of a bushfire, um, uh, the Mogo Zoo in New South Wales kept all 200 of its animals safe. Mm. Uh, it was a, a heroic effort. Staff members stayed behind to put out spot fires and move animals into protective night enclosures. The zoo director, Chad Staples, even took some some into his own house, including mm. a tiger. Wow. Um, and uh, singer, singer Pink announced she will be pledging $500,000 to the Australian Fire Services working tirelessly on the front lines. Actress Nicole Kidman has pledged the same amount as well. Um, That's great. So again, uh, you know, I think we've seen this uh, here in this country. We've seen it in the Western world, uh, really across the globe. That um, You don't often, have to be a firefighter to get involved. Right. Is the bottom line. That can pull out the best in people and, and should. Steve Irwin, Steve Irwin's family continues to keep his legacy alive. Uh, by treating more than 90,000 animals in the Australia Zoo's Wildlife Hospital. Um, in less than a week, Australian comedian Celeste Barber has raised over $26 million wow. through her Facebook fundraiser for New South Wales Rural Fire Service and Brigades. That's Celeste Barber, so that's another way to give um, that folks can get involved in. Australian actor Chris Hemsworth announced his family is donating $1 million toward relief efforts. Uh, so there's uh, a lot going on. I encourage folks um, to uh, step in, get involved if you're concerned. Verge, wouldn't it be kind of cool if everyone that can hear our voice right now would do something? Whatever it is, 10 bucks, 5 bucks, 1000 bucks. That would be kind of cool. For the Australian. Absolutely. Keep your brothers and sisters in mind uh, who are in need. You can make a difference. Thanks for being with us on the Verge Bernero Show today. Uh, we got, uh, well, you got uh, another taste of what's going on out there, and we will see you next week. Uh, pay attention to those New Year's resolutions. We may do some call-ins on that next week. Thanks a lot, and uh, we will see you next week uh, on the Verge Bernero Show.